on Instagram, you get to see all Iceland. They were in Iceland and they're Germany and dropping off Faith. Um, Faith, who was our very first kind of youth, our kid youth, mm-hmm. she's now in. She's um, doing a year over a year abroad, a term term abroad, in Austria. So they're over there and they're missing from us this morning. And um, uh, but we have. Um, the illustrious, the, <laughs> this is um, our, my good friend Ken, and there are, um, Paul will probably say a few things, but there are these moments in life where just, I, I would say it's a divine moment, um, where I, I didn't know how much I would need you. Yeah. And, but God did, and he orchestrated this Parish Collective United Methodist event where you and I were able to collide together, and not even around any topic, in necessarily, right? It was just a familiarity that we felt with one another. I'm, gonna, I'm putting words in your mouth. No. <laughs> so far, the words are so right. Far, so. Yeah. Um, and so um, we will. Ta- I'll let Ken share more about who he is and what he does. But normally here, what we do is we go through a book of the Bible. We're going through the book of Exodus, um, and Paul and I team teach and and share. But we've invited Ken to be part of this dialogue. So. Um, this morning because he's going to uh, be leading us in a series called May I Be You uh, for the month of September. And so we're going to share a little bit about who he is and his story and, and then kind of give you a little little window into what's coming for the month of September. And, and um, I, I, I'm excited about what God wants yeah, to speak well, to us and share. And, uh, yeah, we got to go through funny. the entire uh, teaching uh, two weeks ago yeah. with a little focus group because this is something you're going to be doing and offering to churches mm-hmm. internationally, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> internationally. <laughs> like Tacoma? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Josh uh, is here today. At least I saw him. Oh, there he is. Josh went through it with us. It was yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, to Josh. Yeah, to yeah. Josh. So, um, <laughs> So we're introduced. Yeah. So anyway, we're we're gonna get into that. Do you wanna? Oh yeah. Well, I didn't bring my glasses. I need to steal this for a oh second. Oh my goodness. But <laughs> they just, you know, they when it's hot and sweaty, I just don't like wearing glasses. I get it. They yeah. slip and you have to do this. Forty-five years of never wearing them and then trying to get used yeah. to it. I don't know if Mid-life it's gonna. Midlife is hard. Yeah, it is, you guys. It's tough. I don't know if any of you are there. From the looks of it, some of you are past it. Um, but you young ones, oh, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> but this is a place of hope, so we're not going to dwell on that. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking about this stuff that we were having Ken today. And, you know, uh, Ken doesn't know this, but, um, you know, like you'll, you'll have these distinct memories, especially when you move somewhere new. And it was 12 years ago that we, uh, Sonny and I, our family, moved to Portland. And uh, we started talking to different people, uh, really all over town, about uh, different approaches to doing, I guess, what we would call ministry, ministry life, right? We've been talking to people uh, of all different walks and finding out what people were doing in Portland. and, and, And of course, we were really concerned to try to learn something the minute we kept hearing, I've referred to this before, but one of my distinct memories was constantly being told, like, you do know you've moved to the church planner's graveyard, right? That's, uh, that's what the, the town is known for. And um, so that was an encouraging word that I received <laughs> regularly. And, uh, you know, but it drove me to research, drove me to um, talk to people. What, what is working? What is connecting with people? What is, um, what, what is going on? And I, I had a, f- a friend um, 
that was going to a, a church in town, and he started telling me about this pastor that he really admired. He started talking about this guy that, um, you know, it kind of sounded like, uh, most of you are too young to remember this show, but anybody remember the show Kung Fu? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the white guy that played the Chinese guy. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, that's kind of how this guy sounded, like he just walked the earth. You know, and he just walked, and he walked Portland, and he would walk in the streets of Portland just to love people, just to care about people. And that memory stuck in my mind, you know, and it's been with me ever since, um, because it it just, even though I didn't meet, uh, so if you're not picking up on this, that was Ken. Um, I, I hadn't met you, but that story about you was reaching people, you know, because, um, No matter how programmatic or institutional uh, I think faith can become, i got to believe that there's a a part in all of us that are part of this thing where we're leading stuff like this, that it's that basic. We want to show people love and let them know they're loved by the one who made them, you know, at a basic level, that they are loved by their creator and that there's an opportunity to, to experience that. And, and so there was a, a purity in that that I, I loved and, and I heard about. And, um, and so uh, while I was in seminary, I, I met Ken. I don't know if he remembers, but he was in another program with a, a, another hero of mine named Randy Woodley, a wonderful uh, professor who's had a, a deep impact on me. If you've journeyed with us here at all uh, for any amount of time, you've heard me reference my time with Randy Woodley as a professor in, in, in uh, my time at seminary. And so it's powerful. But Ken was in a, uh, a Native American, uh, what's the name of the actual institute? North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. Yeah, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue. And my, uh, my friend Richard Twist, who was one of my professors, he said, if we can't be smarter, we can have a longer name at least. So, <laughs> but they were smarter. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Richard, brilliant. He was a brilliant, brilliant man and just an incredible heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I only got to know him by, uh, from a distance with uh, Randy inviting him to the seminary to speak. Um, but those had profound impacts on me. And, and then I got to hear uh, more stories about what Ken was doing in Portland uh, as a classmate in one of Randy's classes. Um, also, it may not be fair to do this, but we do judge people by their spouses sometimes. Um, because you're like, well, if you can keep that person around you for that long, and they're great then you've got to be at least adequate, right? Like you got, or, or maybe even better. So it's, I totally win. Because <laughs> Dr. Deborah. Yes. Uh, so Deborah Lloyd was one of my professors at, at uh, George Fox, and um, I had multiple classes with her that were wonderful. It was incredible, and they're just um, really great people. And so, you know, I bring these me- memories with me, right? And that's what we're talking about. Um, today. It's, uh, we're going to be talking about memories, right? Because sometimes moving forward, right, which is what we're trying to do, for those of you who are guests with us, um, this, this is a new space for us and a new stewardship for us. We as a faith community have been um, offered the opportunity to steward this, this uh, sacred space, this, this, this property, which is this building and, and two residential buildings here. And um, so we're, we're in this transition 
And, and uh, we're 10 years old as a faith community. We founded the Groves 10 years ago this coming October. Um, so there's this uh, energy to move forward that's happening with us right now. But as I was kind of preparing for what we we're going to talk about today, um, I couldn't help but think about the fact that um, sometimes we have to look backwards, right, in order to go forwards. We've got to have, and if there's one thing that um, is, is part of the Native American mindset is that, that we can learn, especially as white people, is the connection, those of you that are white people, I know you're not all white people, um, but you are all kind of immersed in white culture. Right? And, and um, so we know that one of the things that American culture, white culture does, is uh, it's really easy to move forward um, and not, not look backwards, to disconnect ourselves from our ancestors, to disconnect ourselves from our past um, in order to move forward. Whereas the, the native and indigenous person perspective is that they don't have that privilege. They are connected deeply to uh, their ancestors and deeply to their past. And I, that always impacted me when Randy would talk about that. Um, he would talk about it. He's like, I don't have the privilege of disconnecting from my past. Um, it, is, it is who I am. We are connected in that way. And that, that had a deep impact on me because um, in order for us to move forward, we've got to wrestle with our whole past, right? And, and that is a hard thing uh, for those of us that are descendants of uh, colonizers and descendants of uh, folks who took land and descendants of those who enslaved, right? This is the light opening, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not sorry. Uh, it, it is because it is what we have to wrestle with. We have to remember um, who we were uh, in order to move forward. And that's different uh, depending on where we come from, right? And, um, and so this is something we've got to do. And it can be hard, right? Uh, if we don't want to put it in the, the couch it in the discussion of um, major atrocities <laughs> and you want to keep it lighter, think of some of the, do you ever look back and have cringeworthy memories? <laughs> do you remember, <laughs> do you have moments that you think back and you remember and you get that warm pooling feeling in your stomach and you're like, oh, I wish that wasn't me, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to be that person. And so I want to forget that because that, you know, and so I have a lot of those. I've, uh, I'm convinced that the 45, almost 46-year-old me, um, I don't know how much I'd want to hang out with the 23-year-old me. You know, um, I'd like to think I would be gracious, but oftentimes we're not that gracious with the, that part of ourselves, right? We look back and we go, oh, this is kind of, this is kind of ugly, right? And, um, and so I think, in a way, this is what God is doing throughout the Old Testament when he's bringing Israel into moments of correction, right? He's, he, he actually, uh, all throughout, when he's teaching them about how to treat people who are more vulnerable than them or people who are other than them, he will remind them of where they come from. He'll say, remember... Uh, who you were. Remember, like a, a, an example, and you can find this, especially all throughout Deuteronomy. This shows up a lot in Deuteronomy. And um, God is instructing them, the law is being given, and he tells them, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I am commanding you 
to do this thing today. And the thing he's commanded him to do is to release someone from uh, indentured servitude. That's what that context, that particular verse there, if you want to look that up, uh, right before verse 15 comes verse 14. Um, and in that, <laughs> I always try seminary. to come. Yes. Yeah, I wish I could go to seminary. 14 comes before 15. But... Um, He's, they're, they're, he's instructing them that they can't uh, keep someone as an indentured servant for more than seven years. Um, because oftentimes when somebody fell on complete uh, poverty, they basically sold themselves to a fellow Israelite and that person took care of them in exchange for service. But they didn't want, God seems here to be trying to prevent institutionalized slavery. Mm -hmm. And so after seven years, they were required to let this person go, which also means they weren't their property. Right? That communicates all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and, but, and the reasoning is, remember, remember that you uh, were once a slave. Yeah, I think again and again, and you know, we're going through the book of Exodus, and we haven't, we haven't yet, this is a spoiler alert, that oh, there, is yeah, a, yeah. there is a great Exodus. But God, again, <laughs> here's what I, I think. I think God knows how we have a short-term memory. God knows that if he doesn't give us, right, these laws were so that this group of people would know how to live, like, and, and to, to live as God's people. And he knew that he had to give them these reminders, these daily practices, this way of living that would remind them, hey, you were once this, but now I've rescued you and you're this, right? There's reminders again and again. I think they were said, there's like over 50 some verses in the Torah about how Israel was supposed to treat the foreigner, mm. how they were supposed to treat the stranger, yeah. because that's who they once were, mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's important, I think, I mean, I've been in faith, I, how long have you been, um, how long have you been in faith, would you say, uh, Ken? For 50 years, actually good in the faith, two. Two, <laughs> Were, they, were those two earlier, or are they, like, now? <laughs> Where are we at right now? <laughs> 78, and... Yeah. kind of a smattering. <laughs> two days here, a week there. Yeah, it's cumulative. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not consecutive. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I don't know if it's this way for you, Ken, but for me, it's just so I've grown up in faith, and I've been doing this practice for a while, and I forget who God is and what he's done for me. Right? I forget, like I forget my history because of where I, because of the grace and the mercy and the goodness that's happened in my life. Mm -hmm. I will, I have, I'm in this place, I'm here right now, I'm looking out like this, but I might forget all those things that have happened for me mm -hmm. to be in this particular place. And, and we, we were having this, um, this discussion about remembering the people who we love and how we care now and where our passions are, are often tied to our histories. And so I was thinking after a conversation, and I want to hear more from you in just a second, but I was thinking about how my, my care about fostering and adopting and all of that was because I was a foster kid and was adopted, right? Mm -hmm. My own history, and if I detach myself, if I'm like, well, I, if I ignore adoption, if I mm -hmm. ignore foster care, if I ignore that part of my life, then maybe I'm not as compassionate or moved to, to love those people that were like me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an orphan anymore, but I have to remember, I think like I, there's a memory that I want to maintain and keep that I was, like God saying to me, remember, you care about orphans today, Sonia. You yeah. care about the 2,700 kids in Multnomah County and Yamhill County, and 
right, in Clark County that don't have homes right now. You care about that because you were once an orphan. And so I wonder this morning what God might be saying to us, like, hey, remember you were once, so care about this group of people. So can you tell us, Ken, about who you are and your history and how you've arrived here? Okay, I'll have to tell you uh, who I am by what happened to me this morning. So I was over at uh, Stumptown pouring exceedingly thick coffee down my throat in the hopes of, for courage, I guess. Um, and then I came over here and I tried to get in those doors. And These ones over here? Yeah. Okay. I thought, oh no, they don't want me. That was kind of, that's kind of my go-to. Uh, and then I walked, found the door in the middle and I walked up the stairs and I opened the door and I thought, oh, there's people here and they know each other. And, and there was an absolute panic. And then they directed me to this room and worship practice was going on. But I saw a coffee pot, so I thought, more coffee. <laughs> um, and then I looked at the cups and there were blue cups and then there was a heart cup and then there was an apple cup <laughs> and then there was a rooster cup. And I puzzled for probably 10 minutes over which <laughs> cup I should have. Finally, I thought, okay, this is fairly innocuous, so I'll take this. And as I'm pouring my coffee, I realized this belongs to somebody. This is a personal cup of another human being, and I just took it. So then my thought is, what I'll do is I'll go to the restroom, men's restroom, and I'll pour out the coffee and I'll wash the cup, but there's humans out there. so. Um, that's a little bit scary for me, so I thought, well, I'll hold on to the cup. I really wanted the rooster cup. <laughs> but, but I knew it belonged to somebody, and I discovered who it belongs to. That's me with so, um, so that is kind of the story of me. Uh, in, in, uh, uh, I went as, as my first day back to the church world after 20 years of being gone from anything remotely looking like a traditional church. That was my first day back, and I was absolutely terrified. And I walked into the room, and high ceilings, stained glass, the, the whole thing, and lots of gray heads. I, if, when I'm looking at, if I'm not looking in the mirror, I think I'm like kind of an angsty 35-year-old. <laughs> Uh, when I look in the mirror, it's kind of like, I'm a Sharpay. <laughs> so, so I'm in this room. I knew the pastors of the church, but when you do a big conference, you are frantically busy 24 hours a day until the conference is over. So I knew they wouldn't be any help to me. Um, and for, I don't know how we met, but I realized there's another left shoe in this room. <laughs> And uh, I felt really comfortable about that. I've been a left shoe all my life, from my earliest memory. Um, Marshall Troxell, uh, he came to our grade school, probably third grade. And Marshall was from Alabama, so he had an accent. Nobody, nobody in my grade school had an accent. Mar Marshall had an accent, he threw like a girl. Um, he was awkward. He wore glasses. Hardly anybody wore glasses 
in the, this is probably 1953. Um, and Marshall was constantly being picked on. And at some point, somebody began to hit him. Another guy with glasses. Somebody began to hit him, and Marshall, in clawing his way to get away from the assault, clawed the guy's glasses, and they fell on the ground and broke because glasses were made. They're called glasses because they used to be made out of glass. <laughs> um, there's a connection there. <laughs> That's and seminary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the howling mob began. And a teacher came, rounded the corner. Uh, a woman, she was probably, I don't, I don't she was big. I mean, she was huge. She could have been 5'4". Um, I was the shortest kid in my class in third and fourth grade. Kid, not just boy, but shortest kid. Um, she asked what happened, and the howling mob said, Marshall knocked his glasses off. You know, kind of like Marshall attacked him. And I said, that's not the way it would happen. Uh, but Marshall was trying to protect himself from being assaulted. And the teacher said, if I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. So I said, you've got it. So, literally, she pulled my ear and dragged me down to the principal's office, but at least Marshall was off the hook, at least momentarily. She dragged me down to the principal's office, and I got in trouble for protecting somebody I loved. Um, little did I know <laughs> that my life was really all about protecting people I love. Um, not one more story. Uh, we were at we were at Oracle Coffee, and I love Oracle Coffee. It took me uh, uh, so we we were talking at Oracle Coffee, and there's a, a young man there uh, who has long hair, long long dark hair, uh, and he's uh, probably a hipster, so he was a little bit scary to me. <laughs> um, and at one point. Uh, I came up to him and I said, you know, I've seen you here a lot, but I don't know your name. My name's Ken. And he exploded. His, his face changed. A smile broke out over his whole being. And he said, my name's Travis. It's good to meet you, Ken. And I thought, okay, now I understand there's a new out group. And that are, are the people who, do, who serve us in clothing stores, restaurants, and so on like that, who don't make enough to live in our city a good part of the time, unless they co-house with somebody. Um, and so I realized that just the small word of asking somebody their name and telling them my name means he will remember that moment for the rest of his life because I remember those moments when people did that for me, just out of the blue. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the person I want to be when I grow up. So those 20 years that you weren't hanging out with church people, like me, uh -huh. Uh -huh, what were you doing? Uh, hanging out with kids on the street, and older adults on the street, people who live out there uh, 365 days a year. Um, when I, we first got here, uh, we started a church, Deborah and I and a woman named Crystal, started a church called The Bridge. 
and uh, that bridge was, uh, well, worship was in the dark, um, and we had steel pipes that we would beat our rage and our pain out of, and the cross bracing uh, that, that is re required in old buildings in order for them to be uh, certified as safe. And so we would pound on that. We would scream at the top of our lungs, but nobody could hear. Um, we, when we spoke, we spoke seven minutes at a time um, because we realized that the average uh, attention, span. attention span is 20 minutes. So for that one minute, if I was the last one, nobody was listening. <laughs> uh, through a fluke, 40 or 60 street kids showed up at our church. And they sat in a semicircle uh, in front of the podium, which was made out of broken skateboards. Um, and they were wrapped in their attention. Um, they didn't like the worship, so they would go up to the, uh, there was a porch on this building. They'd go up there and uh, smoke and wait, and, and somebody would come up and say, the talking has started. They didn't understand the term sermon. So the talking has started, and you'd hear this rumble coming down the stairs. Uh, we eventually had to make a rule that you have to keep your dogs on a leash, because one time when I was talking, two dogs got in a fight, and, and nobody bothered to stop it. So, Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful people. The people that came to our church primarily were uh, musicians, artists, uh, and, and like that. And they were working coffee, living six to a house, uh, knowing that they would become famous. So this was your typical like suburban megachurch? Oh, well. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's where I came from. I'm getting the now. picture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I never quite fit there either. Um, at one point, we, had, uh, we lost our, our lease and we moved two miles north of downtown Portland. Imagine a street kid covered in grime um, telling a, a fair, the fair police people, but officer, I'm going to church. <laughs> I mean, that was a bad sell. Uh, some of them had as many as $300 in tickets coming to church. Mm -hmm. And eventually the 60 became 40, became 10, became five. So I went downtown to collect them. I started something called Home. Uh, and it was for young people who live outdoors in downtown Portland. But as soon as the older guys found out that the food was really good, they came in to us. And because they're grumpy old men, they're wonderful people, but they're grumpy old men, they drove the kids out. Um, and so after a few years, I started something else. When I say I, by the way, um, that's, a, that's a guy thing. I did this, meaning there's a whole we. <laughs> that is the guy. Um, and so um, that's the, uh, the next church. It was the one church that I started by myself. I got an Ikea bag of day-old pastries, by the way, I discovered later on that they hate Dale pastries. And a pack of cigarettes and socks. Socks are white gold on the street. And I walked around downtown Portland, and every time I found a crowd of kids, I thought, oh no, there's people 
And then I went up to them and I would say, hi, my name's Ken. Completely ignored. Anybody want a cigarette? Then they're lively. <laughs> uh, and so that be, uh, became the underground, which is still going. Also, Home PDX is, is still going. Um, it wasn't because I wanted to further the gospel. Now, I hope you'll understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about this thing that drives me on the inside. It's people like myself that don't fit. And as it turns out, the more I look around, uh, the more I realize that they're everywhere. We're everywhere. And I wanted those kids to know that someone on this earth loved them. No matter where I go or where they go, they would know that somebody loved them until I'm dead. And that's my purpose uh, with my friends who live outdoors. And maybe a bigger purpose is to do mostly nothing special, just because they're special. You kind of answered this, but I, I think there's something, there's something so um, um, beyond your words when you talk about the people you love. And I remember, I'm getting so much this. I remember when we were, we came over to this building because I met Ken and and I met Ken before I knew we were coming to Sunnyside, before we knew that we would be in a neighborhood that was struggling with how to be compassionate towards unhoused people. Um, before I knew all of this, we mm -hmm. met. And so then, as we began to have conversations and have really good coffee together. Um, I we would come over to this neighborhood and we would start walking around. And as we would walk around, I could feel, just walking with you, feel your compassion. And it wasn't like a, not like a, I'm a Christian, so I should mm -hmm. be compassionate. Mm -hmm. But how your heart, you, you were so enmeshed and so the same. Like mm -hmm. your heart was their heart. Like you mm -hmm. couldn't. I don't know. I and I don't. I I wish I could. I just think these um, the conversations that I know we're going to have and what we're going to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And as you get into um, this, in this, I don't. I don't even want to call it a series. It's a. It's a. What is going to think? I think be for us a, a transformational journey of how we discover who we love, mm -hmm. and and that we might not. We may not love the exact same people that Ken loves. But there are people that God wants us to love with like self-sacrificing Jesus kind of love. Um, and I want us to, as individuals and as a community, discover who that is. And how it is that we, the, I don't, and I thank you that just what you were saying at the end, the, the, the simple ways an Ikea bag with the old pastries, which they, they're like, thank you for this old, nasty pastry, right? <laughs> like, that's what that we learn as we go along, right? <laughs> the compassion that we start, you know, maybe. But, um, yeah, if you were going to, if you, um, who do you love? Who do I love? You know, I love everybody. I, 
I want to touch everybody. I want, it's because the emptiness in my heart, um, because it feels vacant inside, um, because uh, I did not feel loved as a child, you know, psychological stuff and all of that. But um, I look in people's eyes and when I see pain, I run to the pain. Mm. Um, I'm not sacrificing myself on any sort of altar. What I'm doing is I'm running to someone who is like me and who will maybe understand me and maybe I'll get to understand them. Maybe I'll get to know them uh, and maybe, maybe we'll be able to touch each other. Um, there, was a, there was a wedding recently up on Mount Tabor. Friend, a friend of ours, uh, two friends of ours, wanted to get married on 410 at 410. So that's April 10th at 410 in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, that's a drug reference to uh, smoking dope together. So I got up to Mount Tabor and there were a thousand people there. And the smoke was just hanging in that smell, that wonderful smell was hanging in the air and it was peaceful and it was lovely. And I thought, I want to get to know every one of these people. But at that wedding, um, the original crew from the underground was there. I mean, the original four people and six dogs were there. <laughs> For a while at, at the underground, um, I got more dogs than people and we had a massive dog church. <laughs> and we had a few, a few people. That is vision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I saw them and they, and they told me the story. They remembered the story of the naming of the underground. It was a young man named Crazy. And I said, we've been going for about six months now. We should name ourselves. Uh, and Crazy said, well, what about the underground? And I thought, oh, badass. That's really something. <laughs> you know, we're tough. We're the underground. <laughs> because we're in a basement. Oh. <laughs> so that... So that was a practical solution to a sticky problem. Um, but those folks, those four people and their dogs, the beauty, the absolute beauty, um, they would be described as gutter punks. Are you familiar with the term? Uh, it has to do, and that's a self, that's a, a self-description term. It's not something laid on them, but it's, it's a term for people who live a certain lifestyle, including not bathing very much, if at all, uh, wearing raggedy clothes. Uh, typically, a full-blown uh, gutter punk will wear tan Carhartt bib coveralls, um, and that tan will become various colors over time. They stand them, if they ever take them off, they can just stand up by themselves. Um, <laughs> And they told me the story, and as I heard the story all over again, the joy that I felt, the, the connection. We hadn't seen each other in years just because time and space and so on happened. The joy that I felt being with them again and being able to touch them again and hear the stories and how they were doing and so on like that. And just the absolute unmitigated pleasure of that. Um, 
So that's one side of things. But uh, a barista, when you, when you say, my name is Ken, what's your name? And the explosion of joy on their face and in their heart absolutely blows me away. Um, I'm fairly heavy-footed, I trip a lot, but when, we le when I left that place, I was probably six inches off the ground and just floated, uh, just because of connection, small beginning, but a connection with a fellow human being. Um, as we move into the next few weeks and we go through this, what you put together, this May mm -hmm. I Be You, mm -hmm. um, yeah, tell us what, like, what are we in for? What, why, yeah, what are we in for? Um, we have a massive number of uh, people who live on the streets. In, in the three counties that uh, I just read, uh, it's expected that there are about 38,000 people uh, living there. I can't wrap my arms around all 38,000, but we could wrap our arms around some of them. Uh, but that's, uh, that's the question again, my mind is, yeah, sorry. Yeah, what can we expect as you go through? What can we expect? You? you can expect me to forget a lot. <laughs> um, those people who live outside, we need to do something about them. And so people, as they talk about our friends who live outdoors, they do this. They frown. Their eyebrows go down. When you see a friend that you love, your eyebrows go up. Called an eyebrow flash. People who are blind from birth do an eyebrow flash when they hear somebody enter the room that they know and love. And it's just a momentary flash. Um, so, so my goal, my purpose, is to walk with you and walk with myself at getting better at caring for people. I'm not talking about laying down your life. That's a, that's a little bit bigger uh, than I can handle. But what would it be like? Who could we be? Not who could they be, but who mm. could we be? So that they could live a happier life. My goals are very short uh, when it comes to people. I want them to feel better about themselves and about life because I was there. That's it. Now, some of, some of you will, uh, will say, but I want to teach them about, about Jesus. And I'm saying that's great. That's wonderful, but I'm too small for that. I can only, I'm, I'm small enough that I have to do what I can only do. Uh, and what I can do is I can say, hi, my name's Ken. Um, can I be you? That's the question, not can you be me? Because the historical church for 2,000 years has said to everybody, all you have to do is be like me and then you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, all that I have to do is be like you, and then I'll be fine. Mm. So that's what, that's kind of my mantra. We'll learn how to do uh, mostly nothing special, because the specialness of mostly nothing special is absolutely flabbergastingly massive. Mm. I think the stuff you're, um, you're living I don't even want to say talk because it's more than the talking about it, right? You're, but that you're living this in front of us is um, if we can realize the moment that we're in as a community of faith, 
this can be a, a DNA-shaping time for us, uh, this kind of thing. I, I, uh, when I was asked about, like, what's my vision for the Groves before we launched, right, back in 2008 and 2009, people were, you know, you're always in these meetings with these type A guys. They're like, hey, what's your vision for the Groves? You know, at least how it feels like they're on me. And I'm like, oh, you know. But what I would describe would, would be this... And I don't even know what is possible, but when I hear Ken talk, I think this is the key. Because if, you fl if we flip the question from how do we get people to be like us to how are we, you, how do we have that empathy, that compassion? Um, maybe the vision that, that I felt like was from God that should be for the whole church. That when we look at a cross-section of a society, we should have a place for everybody there. Like, we should all have space and have a place. And, and the, uh, the common, commonality of wanting to know our creator and the commonality of wanting to know this person, Jesus, who loves everybody um, and, and, and makes a way to connect with God, um, that, that should, in, in, in an ideal setting, that should collect all people. So I would, that's what I would describe. I'd be like, well, I don't know. I... I imagine a church where there's somebody who is, I guess, like me, just a normal person with family sitting next to a college kid, sitting next to um, somebody who's retired, who's living in one of these neighborhoods. They've lived here for 30 years next to somebody who lives outside next, you know, and I would just kind of describe what I see when I look around Portland, because that was, to me, the dream of the church is, is that kind of thing. And, um, and so as I, the more I get to hear um, you talk, and, and especially that this moment as you kind of phrase that, um, I, I wonder and I hope if this is a shaping that can happen for us where that vision can uh, take another step forward or be, I mean, because I, I know it, it takes a lifetime to see uh, that kind of community gathered, but um, maybe this is another little piece of it. Maybe we can hope for that. And I think it's a way of being that invites belonging that does not script out the beliefs before the belonging piece. Mm. You know, we talk about mm -hmm. that a lot. Can we, can we be a community? Can we be a group of people that, that allow the space to belong yeah, before, before belief? belief. Yeah. Right. And we, I and mean, maybe without, I mean, what are we, yeah. Yeah, because we, we see that, I mean, we, we know that philosophically, like, that makes sense. It's a good idea. But we've also seen that in our 10 years of preaching through Bible, um, you know, we, we, especially the Gospels, right? We comment about this all the time, preaching through the Gospels, how um, interesting it is that the folks who followed Jesus didn't believe he was God for a long time. They, you know, they, they had moments where they had a revelation. There was like, oh my gosh, it, this is the Messiah. This is, this is God. And it's years into their relationship. And so we're like, if Jesus leaves that space for people to belong, be a part of what he's doing, can't, why can't we? Why is that so hard for us? Yeah, and, and um, just in, I think the closing thing that I just want every, I, I am inviting us to consider is, um, is to consider our histories. Consider who, who, who God might be moving in our hearts and our lives to be compassionate towards. I mean, even when I was thinking about the Groves faith community, what we were just talking about, I think a lot of this for me and creating this kind of space was being a, growing up in a church context that absolutely required strict beliefs before there was belonging. Mm -hmm. And because you had to believe certain things and dress a certain way and behave a certain way in order to truly belong. 
And I think because I knew, even though I was supposed to share that faith with my friends, I was like, my friends are never going to really be welcome there. Mm. And so I spent so many years, decades, longing for a place where I could bring my friends. Yeah. You know? And not that we are executing this perfectly, but I think even just think, like, what is it in your history? Who are the people that you've, you identify with, you were that person, or you, you know, yeah. or still even feel like you're that person? And, and who, who might the Holy Spirit be inviting you to love and be compassionate towards? Another way of saying that, I think, is as for those of us who, who are in faith or have Christ, and all the promises and all the privilege that comes with that. What do we do with that new identity? What do we do with that? Because the Israelites, they were no longer slaves. Yeah. God wasn't saying, will you please act like a slave? Yeah. He was saying, will you be compassionate? Because remember, you once were. Right. Will you treat others the same? Will you love that way? And so I think that's our invitation. Our, our, the invitation is to identify with those who are vulnerable, vulnerable and marginalized in the, way that we, in the ways that we were. Yeah. To remember that, to not forget that. Um, and then I think we'll see how um, scarcity of relationship or scarcity of friendships or all those things kind of inform who, we're, who we love yeah. and who, who we're drawn to. And then just go ahead and do it. <laughs> just go ahead and practice it in those simple, small ways in our spaces, in our neighborhood, in our everyday. Yeah. I, I think we've built highly complex structures of serving um, but when we were little kids, uh, and there was another kid on our block that we didn't know, there was that awkward few moments where, uh, where you were drawn, you know, I remember being drawn, um, because there was another human being more or less my size. Um, and he was drawn towards me because I was more or less his size. Um, but it didn't start out as a complicated structure of what I was supposed to be doing. It was a simple need in my heart to connect. Mm. And, I, and that's the best I can do. I can't. The structures confuse me, uh, so I'm back down to I have a need to connect. Mm. And so do you. Oh, no, I just, <laughs> sorry. Um, I hope what you guys are hearing uh, makes you want to be here for the next few weeks to hear from Ken. Um, I hope you, one of the things that was a big takeaway from any of the time I've had, and especially, specifically our time, uh, him going through this material, um, was the grace with which it's delivered. And um, the uh, just peace with which he delivers these ideas. And because uh, um, oftentimes we can uh, allow guilt and shame to creep in as we uh, hear ab about those who are more vulnerable than ourselves. And um, there's none of that in Ken. There's none of, he doesn't, he doesn't wield those weapons as a communicator or as a teacher. And, um, and so I, I uh, can vouch for the fact that uh, you'll hear just more of this uh, wonderful, peaceful spirit of Jesus in him. And um, he tends to downplay uh, <laughs> kind of his pastoral role. <laughs> but I hear him talk about Jesus in just a little bit of time. Even if he's not naming him, he's, he's channeling him. <laughs> and he has these moments where he, it, I'm like, that sounds a lot like Jesus. <laughs> that sounds a lot like Jesus. And I think he's learned a way of speaking to a crowd um, that we could learn from as well. 
And, um, and so it's beautiful. I'm really glad that we're going to get to hang out here for a few weeks. And um, I hope you guys come and, and uh, get a chance to say hi to him. Don't scare him. Sounds like if there's too many people in his space at a time, it might be a little... No. <laughs> Okay, okay, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> but um, yeah, with that, we're going to do our closing thing that we do, which is we'll sing through a song. If um, you'd like to take communion, there's uh, communion in the back. And, um, and then we'll do a, a group reading of, of scripture at the end as our final thing. Um, but uh, let, let me pray and we'll kind of go into our kind of final stage here. Lord, we thank you so much for... I thank you for your word, God, whether it is uh, a time of teaching that we do typically where we are uh, looking at your scripture, or it is a time of hearing from someone's life that seems to be your word lived out. And so, God, um, help us to learn in all these different ways to be shaped, um, to hear that uh, longing that is deep.